0: We're glad to have Brother Ron with us this morning to share God's Word with us, and we just trust that the Lord has given him something that will be very beneficial to each of us. God bless you, Ron. If you hadn't figured it out by now, I'm preaching about Jesus today. There's no way I can express the way that man there did. And that's not a new uh, oratory That's, that's been around for ages. but. Whenever I'm preaching about the greatness of Jesus, my mind always goes to this. Um, Brother Lockridge just has some ways to say things that I certainly never could. Anyway, I do want to uh, minister to you today on the greatness of Jesus and serving him. And I'm going to take my text today from John 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then verses 10 through 14 Verses 6 through 9 is a parenthetical um, entry. And we're going to look at 1 through 5 and 10 through 14. Just to, to take on, to tag on to what's already been said in this passage here. Jesus is the greatest of the greatest ever in, to come into this world. There's no one that's greater or higher than he that's ever walked the earth. I cannot adequately describe all that there is to know about Jesus in one simple sermon. It would take days and days and days to do that properly. However, I'm going to share with you some of the aspects of the greatness of Jesus today and how they've affected my life in a great way. Starting out with the passage in John that I mentioned to you, John 1, 1 through 5, and then 10 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. That's talking about his own people. And his own did not receive him. But, here's the good but. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who we were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you that it's true and amen. Father, your word doesn't even make a difference whether people believe it or not. It still stands as your word, and it will be now and forever. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me by the Holy Spirit to bring forth that which you've put in my heart to bring today. Lord, we pray for all those who are watching by Zoom today that you would open their ears and open their hearts to receive. We pray as well that you would open the ears and hearts of all that are here, Lord. That your word may go out and that people may be excited and they may be encouraged about the greatness of Jesus Christ today. And it's in your name we ask, Lord. Amen. I'm going to kind of break this down and walk through this a little bit to show you some of the aspects of the greatness of God. Like I said, if I was to preach about everything there is to know about Jesus, we'd be here for days. We don't have days. I don't think you'd want to be here for a camp out and not me ever stop. You probably pray that I will after some point. First of all, I want to look at some things that we're told in the first couple of verses and see some principles here. First of all, there's the deity of Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is God. We know that because it says in the beginning, when he uses the word here in the beginning, Paul does this intentionally. He uses the same phrase in the beginning here that's used in Genesis 1:1 and in that Genesis 1:1 it says in the beginning God created he- heavens and the earth and it goes on to explain his whole creation but it says here in this first verse in the beginning was the word so Jesus was pre-existent he lived before he came in this world which is one of the things that makes him godlike which is one of the things that make him the second person of the Godhead. So Jesus is deity because he was there in the beginning. And he is, we'll see down here in verse 14, he is the word. If you look in your Bible and it's written in normal English, the the word word is capitalized. He is the word. He is the logos of God. He is the living word of God presented to man from heaven. He existed before he came to earth, and so he is God. And it even says, and then the verse one in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is deity. He was preexistent, he was with God, and he is God. Second thing I want to cover about his greatness is he creates with his word. When God said, let there be light, what happened? Light happened, didn't it? When he said, let's make the expense of the heavens and the atmosphere for earth, what happened? They appeared. When he said, went through all the different things, he created the water and separated the sea from the water, made vegetation. It is interesting that God's wise enough to know what order things needed to be made in. He had to make the earth first, then he had to make an atmosphere that could be breathed in, Then he had to put plants and animals so the animals and people would have something to eat. And then once he he progressed all the way, as people say, he saved the best for last. He made man last. And How did God make man? He made him with his word. God doesn't have hands. He's a spirit, right? So when God made man, you remember in Ezekiel, it talks about the valley of the dry bones. He asked Ezekiel, he said, can these bones live? What's his reply? Well, Lord, you alone know. And what does he say? He starts ordering. He starts telling those bones to come together. And the arms begin to come together. The, the phalanges, the fingers and thumbs begin to come together. The toes and legs and ankles and all these bones in this field of all these old bleached bones. Start coming together. And then the Bible says sinew, which is is tendons and muscle, begins to fill and cover those bones. And next thing you know, when God created man, the Bible said he breathed his breath into that man. And that man became a living soul. So we literally have the breath of God that gives us life in us. I don't know about you, but that's a great Lord to me. That's a great Jesus to me. When he can create with his word, he's a mighty God. When Jesus told the winds and and waves, peace be still, what happened? They calmed, didn't they? When he spoke to the demoniac at Gadara, and he told the demons to go into the herd of swine feeding nearby, what happened? Whatever he said happened, didn't it? And when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, as he had been dead four days and was already decomposing. This is a really interesting one to me always. You imagine, I don't know, was his finger rotted off or his toes or half his leg? I don't know. It said he had already de- started decaying. I don't know how that works. I'm not a mortician. But he was dead four days. And even his sister said, Lord, he stinketh, you know, because a decayed body is going to smell really bad, especially in a, in a heated cave. They pulled it back, and when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Did he lay there? No. He came alive. How did that happen? I don't know. I'm not God. All I know is this man who had some decaying flesh that was already deteriorating from his body, Jesus spoke to him, Lazarus, come forth. And he came having to hop because he still had the bindings on him. He had legs. He had feet. He didn't have anything missing. I don't know how that happened. I just know when Jesus speaks, whatever he speaks happens. So he creates with his word. That's why he's great. Another reason he's great, because it says down here in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's a good one there. He had eternal life in him. Because Jesus is deity. He's the second person of the Godhead. He's described in Scripture as having no beginning or no ending. So the life that's in Jesus is not the life that we are acquainted with in our temporary, earthly, finite life. Oh no, the the, the life he has does not have an end. And it does not have a beginning. You know, that's interesting, something with, with such a dynamic, powerful understanding we in the smartest we can be the best mind we can have we really can't understand or comprehend infinity you know in our world there's been a couple of signs that that they're used to identify infinity there's two of them that come to mind the dot 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 if you see something that says dot 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 it means it just keeps going also if you see in mathematics there's a like pi it has like i don't know it doesn't doesn't ever end 3.1412 but what they do they they say 3.1412 and then they put a prime number above the the last digit that means it don't ever stop y'all y'all have ever been to math and i know if you don't like math just forgive me for a minute But you have this thing called a number line, and it has a point of origins. It's a zero, right? And it has positive numbers. I'm I'm thinking backwards because I'm looking at you. So positive numbers go this way, right? Negative numbers go that way. But what's at the end of each end of the number line? An arrowhead. What does that mean? It means it doesn't ever stop. The only reason they stop it is so so when you're doing graphs, it doesn't go off your page. But that's just a human, you know, nuance to help you formalize something and compress a little bit. Infinity doesn't ever stop. And I sit here one day, just just for kicks, you know, that tells you what kind of mind I have. I'm not sure it's normal, but I've sat here at times and I've thought, what's the highest number I can think of? And in my mind, I try to think, how deep can I go? How far can I keep going until my mind finally spins out and I can't comprehend anymore? And I start going to the hundreds, the thousands, the hundred thousands, the ten thousands, the hundred thousands, the million, the ten million, the hundred million. And you start going and you pretty soon you get to a number and you can't even go anymore. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Are we here today? Yes. Can I hear you? Yes. Can I hear a witness? We cannot understand infinity. And there's a perfectly good reason for that. We have finite minds. We have limited capacity to understand heavenly principles we cannot ex- understand fully eternity because we are not eternal in the sense of this world this world is very temporary somebody can die from one day to another they can be here one day next day they can be gone so so our, our we're very fixed in our world we're very finite we're very limited in what we can do and how long even the bible says life is like a vapor it appears for a little while, but that's in comparison to eternity. It doesn't mean it's a vapor like you're not important. It means compared to God's infiniteness, our life is like a vapor. You live to be 105 years old. What's that compared to eternity? Not even a dot, right? That just shows you how great Jesus is, the fact that he can understand the ununderstandable. He understands the infinite because he lived there. He is, he is the one that was and is and is to come. And so he's the dot, dot, dot. He's the one that created the number line. Amen? Amen. Even 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. That tells us we can't even understand infinity but you know what we accept it because he told us in john 3 16 and that where it starts god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what everlasting life eternal life unending life in this life that we have with jesus is just a step to get into the next life that isn't ever going to end when we've been there as long as we've lived here we don't want him to even feel like we've been here a week. That's really amazing, isn't it? Next thing I want to look at that makes him great is his life was the light of men. Light here in this text, in this context, has to do with revelational insight. It has to do with the light bulb coming on, as some people say. Understanding spiritual things with a spiritual mind and, and understanding how to apply it to a walked-out life. That's what this... He was the light of men. His life was the light of men. And Why is that? Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. Jesus was and is the hope for all mankind to be cleansed and redeemed from their sins. There was not another way. In fact, all the way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing God did once they repented was he promised there would be one who would come and crush the serpent's head but the serpent would bruise this hill. And right there, it was on. Right then, it was on. Jesus was coming. And so, throughout the Bible, uh, his life was charted many, many times. Uh, Jesus was there when Noah built the ark. He was the one that gave him the idea for the ark. Jesus was there as the great shepherd to David. He was there in the lion's den and became a lion tamer and shut the mouth of the lions as we heard from our our soon coming pastor last week he was the fourth man in the fire you know that's an amazing thing to me i don't know how many deer hunters or hog hunters or different kind of hunters and trappers and stuff we have here but if you've ever or even people that go camping out but if you've ever camped out and you sit around the fire you don't even have to be close if the fire is far from here to that chair and you're just kind of standing around yapping, having a good time. When you go back to your tent and you're somewhere where you're out of that environment, you're going to smell that smoke on your clothes, aren't you? Whatever, hickory or mesquite or whatever, oak, whatever you're burning, you're going to smell that, that smell of smoke from just from just a little campfire. What would it be like to be in a burning, fiery furnace that's heated up seven times hotter than normal, and you'd come out of there and you wouldn't even smell smoke on there? hair? Why is that? Because in Jesus' life, and that life is the light of men. Light gives people hope. When you're in darkness and the lights come on, which we've all experienced the last couple of weeks, had not we? I had an episode last night. I was sitting here, and actually, I was getting ready to type this up because I've been having thoughts in my mind all day and all week, and I thought, this is what I feel like the Lord wants me to focus on. and Isn't it neat the way all the songs lined up, and here we are preaching about the greatness of Jesus and his effect on us because of that. Anyway, that's always amazed me that that people could be in a fire and God could protect them. But see, he has life. In him is life. In him is hope. I don't know if he created a barrier around them that caused them not to burn. I don't know. And you know what? It really doesn't matter how. What matters is he did it. That's what matters. He's the one, through Ezekiel, was the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's the one that walked on the water. He's the one that made the dead raised back to life. He's the one that took a little boy's lunch, hardly any food, and fed 5,000 men plus women and children, and then had 12 baskets. He had more left over than he started with. He's the feeder of men. In him is life. And that life is the light of men because light gives people hope. Light directs people. Light gives people direction and guidance. If you didn't have lighthouses, especially in California where they have these rocky cliffs, you'd go crashing into the into the rocks, wouldn't you, if you're on a ship? So light gives hope. Light gives direction. Light helps people have peace and knowing where they're going. So he was, his life, it's always been present, It's always intervening with man, was the light of men. He is our hope. Amen? Amen. Another great thing of Jesus is the love of God that was demonstrated in him. We see this in, down here further in verse 10 and 11. Listen to this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Can you imagine an architect and a builder creating a wonderful state-of-the-art facility of some kind and nobody ever acknowledging who built it or who designed it? I guarantee you somebody's going to know who, who built that, and they're going to know who the builder was, right? But, but it says they didn't know him. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not know him. Then it adds insult to injury on the next verse, verse 11. He came to his own. The word here is talking about his own people, the Israel, the Jews. And he came to the Gentiles too, and I could prove that to you. But he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Did that stop him from coming? Did he pout and say, man, they rejected me, I'm out of here. No, he came anyway, didn't he? He came to seek and to save that which was lost that would respond to him. And we have that right down in the next verse. So he demonstrated his love. John 3, 16 tells us, and I quoted it once already, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the reason God sent Jesus is because God so loved his greatest creation, man. He wants man that's disconnected and in darkness from him, wants that man to be reconciled to him, to have the life that he originally had in mind for Adam and Eve. He wants mankind, all of us, to walk with him in a relationship and fellowship. But we can't have that if he don't demonstrate his love for us because who ever responds to someone that doesn't love him? How many of y'all here are married or ever been? when you before you married that person you probably probably at least saw them at least once would you say some of you might have seen each other quite a few times right and then you got betrothed or engaged or something you know and then it was probably some time and finally there came a time when you got married but you didn't marry that person because you hated them did you you didn't marry that person because they annoyed you although sometimes they may You responded to that person because they showed you love. They showed you affection. They showed you attention. You won, as some people say, won their heart. God wins our heart because he loved us first. He gave Jesus when he didn't have to because he loved us. That's a great love. That's a great Savior to come knowing what he's facing and to face it with grace and and, and courage and boldness And to walk down that that road to that cross where he was going to be nailed, even though he had to let someone else carry his own cross. He was beaten so bad, his body was so discharged with energy and strength physically that he couldn't even barely walk, let alone carry his cross. Somebody had to carry his cross for him most of the way. So the love of God's been demonstrated. You know, I like verse 12 too. Here, here's the good part of verse 10 through 14. But as many as received him, that's what he's invested in. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Somebody say amen. Somebody shout. Amen. Don't throw tomatoes or something. Just have a reaction. Who were born not of blood, They weren't born of a lineage of a mom and a dad, nor of the will of the flesh. It wasn't because someone decided they wanted to have a son, nor the will of man, but of God. It was God's choosing that we had a chance for him to intervene in our life and give us his eternal life and to walk with him and experience his greatness as we walk with him. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Whew! Hallelujah. Yes. Without that, we wouldn't have hope, would we? He couldn't die if he didn't come and dwell among us. You know the fact that he dwelt among us. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in all ways, as is a common to men. Yet he was without sin. He was without sin. Then there's another Scripture, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, one of my also, also all-time favorites, because it just puts it right in your face. I like it when the Lord just puts something right there. It says, he who knew no sin became sin, so that those who were sinners could become the righteousness of God in him. That that basically covers the whole mission in one, one text, doesn't it? He who knew no sin became sin so that those who were sinners could become the righteousness of God in him. There was a sin transfer. He was immutable from sin. He didn't have sin. He didn't have fault. Even Pilate found no fault in him. And yet, he not only took on the world's sins upon himself, he became sin. To the fact that God the Father had to turn his face from him, the only time in eternal history where God had to turn his face away from Jesus was when he became sin, because God cannot look at sin. And that's why he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he felt God's face turn away from him when he became sin. The fullness of the dregs came upon him. Someone a while back preached about the dregs at the bottom of the cup. And that's, that's the really bad stuff. And that's not good at all. And he felt all the bitterness, all the anguish, all the helplessness, all the isolation. If you ever feel isolated, Jesus was more. If you ever felt by yourself... He's been through more. No matter what you might have been through experience, He's been through more. Because He was the Prince of Heaven. And yet He became a pauper. He was the perfect of the perfection. And yet He became sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. So what happens is when He died and He took our sins upon Himself, when He died... It talks about this in Romans 7. When he died, the sin died. But when he rose to life, the sin no longer had dominion. So then we're cleansed and freed and we're bound together in him. We have a bond with him, a relationship with him. And he imparts to us his eternal life and he takes away our temporal life and he fills us and imparts to us all of the elements of his characteristics in assets, and personal qualities. And I like the last part of that. The glory, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever beheld the glory of God? Nobody? Has anyone ever seen the glory of God manifested? You ever seen healing? You ever seen a miracle? Y'all, I'm either doing really good, or y'all really, I'm putting y'all asleep sleep, or something. I'm gonna to have to do jumping jacks, or something, a minute. But that's the last thing I want to express here. Is His glory and His greatness as experienced in my life. I don't know what you've experienced. I can only, I can only have a point of origin of my own life to gain what experiences of the glory of God I've had in my life. But the reason I'm preaching about the greatness of Jesus and how serving Him has been the greatest thing that ever happened in my life is to encourage you that you would have the same heart, that you would see how great Jesus is. You might already know that, but it's never a hard or a bad thing to re- replenish our mind with re- with repleted fresh knowledge in a reminder how great he really is. First of all, I've got several things I want to tell you about, about my life. How God took me and, and he's been the greatest thing that's ever happened. Just like this guy said, the greatest phenomenon in the horizon of the world. He's my friend. Yes. Jesus. Did you hear me? Yes. I said, Jesus is my friend, Zoomers. He's my friend. He's still. He's closer than a brother and he will never, ever leave me nor forsake me. I've been in every kind of weird situation i've been betrayed i've been i've been denied i've i've been rejected I went through any kind of human experience that anybody could go through and you know what he has never left me i left I lost my dad when he was only fifty five years old and I've got more gray hair by three times than what he had at fifty five and yet without any understanding or knowledge that anything was going to happen next thing I know. I'm in the military. Next thing I know, my dad's gone. And you know what? He never left me. He never forsook me. And in fact, when I dropped on my knees in that ICU room and they're trying to revive him, I just threw it all out. I didn't care who was there. I started praying. I said, Jesus. I, I went from going to Korea for 18 months without my family, having my third hep B series and then a week later they removed all of our our levy, going anywhere now we're going to iraq this is for the first iraq war so i'm a tanker i'm a tank mechanic so i'm preparing to i'm going from going to korea to not going to korea now we're going to war real war in iraq and now i'm in a field trip field training exercise getting ready for this war we're going to go to and in the middle of the night one night just happened to have radio watch i've been walking around our tanks were all repaired they didn't need mechanics so me and two other guys were just driving around where the commander set up their tents where we i sat in a personnel carrier for a day and a half didn't do a thing very boring not bad getting paid for doing nothing but it was really nothing to do but god had me there so i would hear that note and i heard when they were calling my name trying to reach me out in the middle of nowhere in the field And I had to go in to come to find out my dad had a heart attack. I went in, he stabilized, a couple of days later he was gone. And I said, Lord, I am not ready for this. I'm not ready to accept this. I need you to touch my daddy. And I'm not kidding. I heard him say he's back. And my dad came back for three minutes from 9.48 to 9.51 p.m. on a Thursday night. And then all of a sudden he went out and he never came back. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I brought him back because I could. But you go on. This 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 is my choice. Yeah. And you know what? I never had a I never had a problem accepting that he was gone. I never had um, I had grief. I was sad because me and my dad were really close. We were we were talking buddies and we shared life and love together. And he was just a neat guy. He was a man's man. He commanded respect from everybody that knew him. He could learn anything just by watching somebody do it or reading a book and um so i really missed him but you know what god's grace was sufficient he never left me or forsaken me he was a friend that stayed close to a brother to show me yes i showed you that i could bring him back but this is my choice And you know what it made it a lot easier to accept when i know god spoke to me and said it's okay i've had a wife you know it's not always the man that cheats on the woman I've had the other done to me, and then I was lied about and things said about me that weren't true to make the other person seem justified. And I had the district, when I was the Assembly of God, call me in asking me questions about things that I wasn't even guilty of without even vetting first that it, any of that was even true. And then asking me, why did I even bother wanting to stay an ordained minister? Nobody's going to want me. My own district told me that. So you know what? He still never forsook me. And when I thought, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe I don't need to be in ministry. Maybe I just go be a physical therapy assistant or a nurse or something, just make plenty of money for my kids and just have a good life and be a Christian. You know what? God wouldn't let me. I had almost straight A's all the way through school, and I couldn't get in a physical therapy assistant program and, and stink in stinking Navarro College. It was like he shut the door and he said, If I called you to preach, you preach. You don't worry about what what title you're going to be in. You don't worry about what denial. I'll figure all that out. You walk where I tell you to walk. I finished my degree. I stayed and got a second degree, and God made the way because he is great and greatly to be praised. He's my great high priest. I can take any concern I have to him. You know, in the Catholic Church, they go to the priest, and they empty out their heart to him, and he's the mediator. That's one big hiccup I have with that. I don't have to go to a mediator. He is my mediator. I can go, Jesus, I can sling out anything I want to sling out, and he's not going to condemn me. He might say, hey, you need to to slow your roll a little bit. Hey, you need to calm down a little bit. Hey, you need to consider yourself. You're not perfect either. You know, and I can go to him, and he hears what I say. He knows the very intents of my heart. Yeah. The Bible says the word is sharper than a than two edged sword, dividing us under between the joints and the marrow in the in the spirit and the in the heart. So so he he can come and he can cut that fine line right out of me of something that's perking in there that isn't right, because he's my high priest. That makes Jesus great. Amen. He's my great physician. I can't tell you how many times I've I've been healed miraculously several times. And time does not suffice me to be able to give you all the accounts of times where the Lord's actually supernaturally touched and healed me in an instant. I've also prayed for many people in my lifetime. It's not because of me, it's because of him. I know he's the great physician. I know if I pray for people, I'm expecting them to be healed. And I've seen every kind of healing that you can imagine that, that has happened instantaneously. And I've also seen, witnessed people I didn't pray for, but I was in the service or somewhere where they were. And I knew their medical conditions. I knew this man who had such bad knees that he could barely walk. And he played the trumpet in our orchestra at the church. And we—that's this is when you had Sunday night church. No no strong, strong but, you know, everybody used to have Sunday night church. And our Sunday night church was like, man, we blow the walls out. It was like the, you would you might miss Sunday morning if you did not miss Sunday night. And this man came, the pastor was out, and this man came that was always talking about faith and miracles and stuff like that. And so he was the speaker for the day, and he just started out. I feel like the Lord wants to heal some people tonight, and He wants. To, we're going to have the worship team worshiping, and we're going to trust God to heal. And I heard it with my own eyes. The man that had the t- knees, I heard this pop like a belt. If you get a belt and you go, or if you crack a whip, I heard this loud pop, and this man's knees were instantly healed, and this man who couldn't even walk was running around the church with his hands lifted up. who couldn't do that five minutes before, so I know he was healed. I know about his arthritic knees, and I know how bad they were, and I saw that man with my own eyes healed and run around that church, and I know if he never again had knee issues. I've seen people healed that were blind. I've seen people healed that were deaf. I've seen people healed of cancer. I had my own granddaughter that didn't even have a a heart valve in one spot, have a heart valve that God grew there miraculously. And my daughter has seen the x-rays. Here's the one without a heart valve. Here's the one. Hey, there's a heart valve. Whoa, how'd that happen? (laughs) That's how it happened. The great physician touched her. So he's been great in my life because he's a healer. He's a miracle worker. I've seen every kind of miracle people could see. I've had miracles of provision. I've had miracles of of protection from from harm and death. I've been in at least three auto accidents where I probably shouldn't be here. Walked out of all of them without a scratch. All I had time to do is say, Jesus, help me. Didn't have time for a lengthy prayer. Didn't have time to, to, you know, conjure up a bunch of faith it was just it was there here was this thing it was happening i had a moment of an instant and yet at least two times maybe three when i was in accidents i there's no reason i should be here today and yet i walked out of them without a scratch that's a miracle so he's my miracle worker i've had provisions of providence i've had provisions of things where god intervened in a perfect time i used to do drafting I lost a drafting job because of some loss of funding the company got. They did a lot of city municipal type of roads and sewer line repairs and additions and stuff. And they lost this big city of Houston bond election. And I lost my job because I was the last one hired. That was 10 o'clock in the morning. By 2 o'clock that afternoon, I'd already called someone, got an interview, and hired to start the next day. Four hours. Even my little brother who doesn't serve the Lord now remembers that. That's a miracle. Miracles of Providence. Last year, about this time, in fact, just about this time, a couple of days ago, a year ago, I lost a job I had for three and a half years. And I knew it was coming. I could feel the great lift from that place. And I could tell a different direction was coming. And I told my wife in early January, I'm going to lose my job. We need to prepare for it. And She wasn't concerned. I wasn't concerned because I've seen God pull me through things like this all my life, 40 years. I was not afraid. I thought, God will make a way. He knows where I am. He knows my address. God's going to make a way, and it's going to be as good or better than what I had. Now, I have this job that on paper, I really wasn't qualified for. And I wasn't even sure if I was going to take the interview. And I had three or four pages of, you know, if they ask this, I'm going to say that. If they, you know, almost a scripted thing. Every time the phone rang and I was ready for the Zoom call, I ended up not even looking at the notes. It's like the Lord would give me exactly what to say. And he gave me favor with those people. And I said, Lord, am I really qualified for this job? Because they can ask me three or four questions. They'll shoot me right out of the contention. If I'm wasting my time, just let me know. I just felt the Lord encouraged me. Whom I call, I'll equip. Yeah. And if I place you in this job, you don't worry if you're qualified. You step into what I tell you to step into, and I will qualify you. I will give you the empowerment and the enabling you need to do that job and to do it well. And, and and I can give you a testimony today. I've had that job now for six months. Wow. You know, was I really qualified? No, I'd never been a program director. I'd been in leadership. But God gave me favor with those people that were making the decisions. I don't know why or how. I just know it was a providential touch of God on them to guide me where he wanted me. And the Foursquare doesn't set pastors in that are 55 and older. It It just doesn't happen anymore. But you know what? I feel like these people at this South Dallas Judicial Treatment Center, I feel like the staff and clients there are my church. I try to bring light and hope and peace and encouragement to everybody there, both the staff and the clients. Last week, I was there three days because we had no power of water. I was the main director, so I didn't feel comfortable me going home and sleeping in a cozy bed while they were suffering. So I stayed there three days without going home, put myself through all the misery they went through to encourage them. And I was walking around getting to know them. Now every one of them knows who Mr. Lewis is. Typically, I'm, I'm way too busy with administrative tasks and reports and data and talking to vendors and talking to people from my boss to Chicago to, to really get to know clients. But because of that situation that God allowed to happen last week, everybody there knows who I am now. And Jesus helped me be a light to those people and to encourage them and say, Look, I'm here with you. You're going to be okay. God's going to make a way for us. And God showed me ways to get water to them. 160 people get water every day that didn't have water. He showed me how to make things happen that needed to happen. God gave me that which I would need. It wasn't me because I'm not that smart. It's him working in me and through me. And the most important thing of all, in Jesus, I have an eternal hope that nobody can ever take away from me. Even Jesus said, "They can don't fear those who can kill and, and destroy the body, but fear him who can send your whole body and soul into hellfire. Yeah. You know, I do have a healthy fear of God. I'm not condemned, but I accept him by faith. I have a hope in Jesus that will never fade away. I've known Jesus now for almost 50 years, and he has never, ever left me and forsaken me. He has never failed me. He has never said, talk to the hand, because because ear isn't listening. He has never told that to me. He has never shunned me. He has never uh, condemned me because of failing him, and I've done that many times. But I wanted to encourage you today that Jesus is the greatest that there is. Yes, sir. There's no one greater or higher or stronger or more able to touch and make your life great than him. Jesus is the greatest. And there's nothing greater than serving Him. Amen. Lord, thank you today. What a privilege, Lord, to serve you and to know you and to walk with you. To have you impart your ways in, into me and to us. To seek you and to find you and to ask, and that and that be given which we ask for. And even when we struggle and have difficulties, you make a way through it, Lord. You're the fourth person in the fire. You're the the lion tamer. You're the wheel in the middle of the wheel. You're the one who calms the sea. You're the one that raises the dead. And, Lord, you're the one in whom we have our eternal hope. And I thank you and bless you for everything you are to me and everything you are to all those who are here and everything you are, Lord, to those who are resuming today. May you give them a newfound and regained confidence and assurance that they can know jesus if they already know him they can know him in a way that they'll have confidence and assurance they can they know he's with them they know he's their friend they know he's never going to forsake them. they know he's their healer they know he's their provider and i pray god that everybody would just get a great boost and charge of energy and encouragement today and everyone would seek you and if there's anyone whether zooming or here that does not know you lord May they make that decision today. We ask you this and bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love y'all.